0: Section thirty five of Paved with Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason Paved with Gold by Augustus Mayhew. Chapter two of Book the Third The Road to Ruin captain crosier narrowly escapes being an honest man it was nearly three o'clock in the day the sun had been shining with singular brilliance since six a m when captain merchant crosier thought he had better make an effort to rise and dress himself seedy and dilapidated from a glorious overnight the tumblers were filled for the last time at four he wrapped his dressing-gown around him and shuffled up to the windows of his sitting-room to have a peep into the street and see what kind of day it was. The curtains had been closed, and as he pulled them aside, the bright daylight made him draw back, as if a lantern had been flashed before his eyes. He muttered to himself something about his being a fool to keep such late hours, and, hurrying back again to his bedroom, rang the bell for breakfast a man in the habit of stopping out until five in the morning should never have a looking-glass in his room it was a painful thing to see the captain advance timidly to his toilet-table and gaze upon himself despite the rose-coloured curtains he looked as yellow as mustard he leaned forward to see if the wrinkles about the eyes and forehead had deepened and then sighed sadly as if he thought they had he was looking far from well that morning the texture of his skin did not please him the grain of it being coarse as that of an ostrich's egg and its colour that of cold sighs even when he had pushed his hair off his forehead coughed struck his chest and vigorously thrown his shoulders back there was nothing prepossessing in his general appearance in disgust he gave up all attempts at personal embellishment and returned to his bed as he lay there he blessed his fate that he was not a married man for thought he how disgusted my wife would be if she saw me now he was very low-spirited he had a slight headache and fell into a serious train of thought as he tried to eat half a slice of dried toast he accompanied each mouthful with a self-inflicted lecture upon his dissolute mode of life turning the bread over in his mouth as if it had been embittered by his repentance not that his reflections were the most moral ones nor was the punishment which according to his ideas his behaviour entailed of the most distressing character Another day gone, he thought, fixing his eyes in melancholy resignation upon the dirty boots he had forgotten to put outside the door overnight. Another day gone, this won't do. How can I expect to feel well or look well leading such a life? It will be five o'clock before I am ready to go out. What a fool, idiot, ass I am on such a day, too, when regent street will be crowded every pretty face and every new bonnet in london will be there it serves me right it serves me right i must and will keep better hours as if determined to lose no time in reforming he leaped from his bed and set about his toilette the exquisite results of which whilst they roused the envy of mincing lane and the stock exchange had never failed to win the admiration of piccadilly and the esteem of hyde park whenever the air was free from dampness and gave promise that a curl was likely to retain its position for a few hours the captain took especial pains with his hair he was of the same opinion as the messrs roland that ahead of luxuriant locks was the greatest ornament which nature had vouchsafed to the votaries of fashion how often would the captain comb forward his side hair until it had assumed its proper grace he was never tired of rounding the rebellious mesh on his fingers or fixing it with cosmetique with the greatest cunning the bushy portions at the back were made to conceal the slightly bald spots in the front he would brush and brush till his arms ached and his scalp smarted but he never regretted either the time or the torment provided the brutus stood up boldly as a cock's comb above his classic brow when the hair was neatly grained with the comb when the parting at the back was as distinct as the centre bone of a fish then he felt easy in his mind and smiled complacently as he twisted his head about before his mirror as the toilette progressed several philosophic reflections passed through the captain's mind as he saw his form gradually becoming more and more attractive he was led to ponder on the wonders of art each time he dug his finger into his pomatum and saw how it turned the colour of his locks from a mild ginger to the rich tones of a briskly fried soul he uttered a blessing on the great discoverer of bear's grease after he had tied on his false collar and seen how by concealing a portion of the fatigued face it gave a brilliance to the remaining features he stood still to utter a benediction on the noble mastermind that first imagined stick-ups he inwardly rejoiced that he had been born in an age when all these great advances in civilization had been made and asked himself how the deuce the old fellows meaning the dead and gone of the year one managed after they had been out boozing his hat was on gently cocked on one side so as not to crush the curls on the right temple a petit verre had given a sparkle to his eyes and a flush to his cheek HE WAS READY FOR REGENT STREET AND CONQUEST. BUT THE SERVANT ENTERED AND HANDED HIM A NOTE. HE LOOKED AT THE ADDRESS AND RECOGNIZED FRED TATTENHAM'S PECULIAR SCRAWL. WHAT THE DEUCE CAN HE WANT, HE THOUGHT AS HE BROKE THE SEAL. FRED TATTENHAM WANTED FIFTY POUNDS, AND HE ALSO WANTED TO KNOW WHEN THAT DINNER AT RICHMOND WAS TO COME OFF. YOU KNOW THE BET WE MADE TOGETHER ABOUT THAT GIRL BERTHA, RAN THE LETTER it is more than seven months now and i will trouble you for a cheque i have spoken to the other fellows about the dinner and we have agreed as you will have to pay for it you may order what you like may i suggest paradise soup or an ortolans after he had bitten his lips for a minute or two and twisted the letter about like a draper testing cloth the captain whistled a little too flatly the first two bars of still so gently or me stealing, then he took off his hat with a gesture as if he were about to dash it on the ground, but suddenly remembering it was a new one, placed it carefully on the table. No word escaped him beyond damn it, everyone can understand that it is not always convenient to give a cheque for fifty pounds it so chanced that the captain it has also happened to many other brave officers was particularly hard pushed for money even a demand for ten pounds would have distressed him when his glover called for his little bill of five pounds he had been told that the captain was in the country there was one thing to be said in merton's favour he did not abuse bertha personally it is true that as he flung himself into his armchair he muttered a wicked, unfeeling curse against the whole female sex, but did not particularize the little girl opposite. The best proof he was dreadfully upset was that he gulped down two more petits verres of brandy, jerking off the glasses as rapidly as if he had been taking pills. Then, with the fire of alcohol to inspire him, he threw himself on the sofa and proceeded to make up his mind as to what was the best thing to be done. It was a painful sight to see this comparatively young man engaged in the dreadful labour of making up his mind. He could have packed up twenty portmanteaus in less time than it took him to arrange his thoughts, whether his mind was of the diminutive order and delicate as a bracelet watch or whether it was vast and wild as a primitive forest, none but those who are acquainted with the secrets of nature can reveal. He frowned like a newton at his calculations, and tossed about as uneasily as if reclining on a sack of potatoes instead of a sofa stuffed with the best hair. Once he passed his hand through his locks, but the deranged curl aroused him to consciousness, and he quickly replaced it he bit his lips till they were as red as if a whole hive of bees had newly stung them but though the gilt shepherdess clock struck the quarters one after another still the captain could not make up his mind he had the greatest reverence for those debts which however dishonourably they may have been contracted are called debts of honour if ever a friend of his was forced to take an invigorating walk through the insolvent court the captain however heavy the schedule might have been had never refused to shake the freedman's hand and pleasantly joke him upon the whitewashing performance but should his most intimate acquaintance neglect to settle after a horse-race he might as rationally expect to take tea with the queen of oud as obtain a nod from the indignant merton he admired the noble fellow who to pay a gambling debt did not hesitate to ruin his entire family he despised the mean-hearted dog who preferred leaving his losses at blind hooky unsettled rather than reduce his father to beggary or see his wife and family turned into the streets holding such opinions as these the noble captain of course determined on sending fred Tattenham his fifty pounds even if he had to take to the Ratcliffe highway and garrote every sailor who was getting drunk on his voyage money now his thoughts were turned to bertha the pretty little witch who had brought upon him all this sorrow and tribulation fifty pounds for a pair of large eyes it was dear confound her rich brown hair he might have bought a fine brown horse for the same money now what should he do with her should he give her up and let her go her own way in life or should he still pursue his plot against her virtue and now the captain's mind was wavering to and fro like a hair balance the scale at one moment turning with an attempt at morality while at the next instant he thought over the girl's charms, his desires would weigh down every other consideration. "'I'll let the girl go,' he undecidedly muttered to himself. "'She will marry some journeyman carpenter and have to get his one-o'clock dinner ready. Fancy her pretty arms round the neck of a fellow in a flannel jacket. Imagine those beautiful hands stroking a rough head full of sawdust.' That girl was born to sit in a male phaeton. Then, striking his thigh, he added, Hang me if I can give her up. Yet suppose I should get tired of her, and after a year or two wish her at the devil. If she was to marry one of her own class, most likely he would dote on her as they do in the plays. I wish I'd never seen those pretty eyes of hers. It's like hearing music to look at them. Pretty little thing. I know exactly the kind of bonnet that would make her look like an angel. A poor man could not give her such a bonnet. She would have to wear a common straw thing with her hair arranged like a workhouse girl's. I can't bear the idea of Bertha down on her knees scrubbing a miserable back room. Now, I should dress her out as showy as an album binding. Wouldn't the fellows be astonished when they saw her in her silks satins laces as beautiful as the queen of a harem for some time he amused himself by picturing the envy bertha's beauty would arouse in the bosoms of his intimate friends the glory of her loveliness would be reflected upon him they would be forced to avow that he was a better judge of beauty than any of them besides he thought she is a kind of girl there would be no fear of being jealous of for if once she gave her heart there would be no fear of anybody else carrying her off then again his right to bertha struck him in a new light i'm positively entitled to her he said i've bought her i look upon this fifty pounds of fred tattenham as a kind of purchase money what a fool i should be to let her go after investing such a sum if i was to lay out fifty pounds in a house i should be called a madman if i gave up the place without getting my money back then why should i give up such a palace as bertha whether it was that the captain could not make up his mind in less than a day or whether fred tattenham's letter had disgusted him with the world it is singular that for the first time in two years he passed an evening at home he sent downstairs to request that mrs bullenty would cook him two mutton chops he drank a bottle of sherry with them and declared it was the filthiest dinner he had ever eaten try as he would he could not determine how he should act towards bertha to seek inspiration many times he went to the window in hopes of catching sight of that fair damsel and having a contradictory mind his disappointment only made him love her the more when eleven o'clock struck that being the hour at which miss tomsey's household invariably retired to rest he lighted a cigar and went on to the balcony whence he watched the window of the room where bertha slept he saw a light come into it and someone close to the window and then pulled down the blind the captain felt his breath shorten as he looked upon this female form there she is pretty little creature he said addressing the illumined casement you look more beautiful than ever i cannot give you up perhaps if he had been aware it was mrs wortey the cook and not the lovely bertha whom he was thus apostrophizing, he might have been induced to alter his opinion but love is blind and cannot see through a brick wall in his agitated condition the captain tried to soothe himself with hot brandy and water his faculties became quickened with the stimulant and before the third glass was empty he had made up his mind to one thing he vowed to himself that he would not go near any of his fellows or even walk down the haymarket for a fortnight. The fact is, he remarked mentally, I go so little into decent society that I am in an unnatural and demoralized state. The only women I talk to are those that disgust you before they have answered a dozen questions. The consequence is that the first decent girl I see I fall in love with. Because she does not address me first, I considered her the most modest of her sex, and because she lowers her eyes when I stare at her, I persuade myself she is a paragon of innocence. But the truth is, I am not a fit person to judge. So the captain promised himself that he would go into society. He had plenty of invitations, two indeed for the very next week. You may depend upon it he thought i shall find plenty of girls much prettier than bertha and looking at them shall forget all about this stupid little beauty why it is evident enough that girls who have been well educated and brought up at home and who are dressed in the most expensive manner must be more captivating than my little witch so in this way i will save myself without destroying her and by jove he added if I do meet with a girl who is prettier than my wench, hang me if I don't marry her. By this last exclamation, some people might be led to imagine that a matrimonial alliance with Captain Merton Crozier was a most excellent and enviable position. But, knowing his character as well as we do, we very much doubt whether his society for life would be a fitting reward for superlative female excellence the captain was selfish beyond the usual average he had no taste more noble than sporting was fond of change and afflicted with a deranged liver which at times made him irritable a man's true value is never known until he is missed the first night that Crosier stopped away from his jolly companions they felt little or no anxiety about the absentee but when a second and a third passed and yet the captain had withheld his society then did those wild boys tom oxenden and charlie sutton conclude that merton's life must be in danger and with an impulse that did honour to their friendship paid him a morning visit neither would fred tattenham have stopped away but for fear that it would look as he remarked as if he had called for the fifty pounds many were the anxious inquiries which had been made down the haymarket as to what had become of the captain mr alf cox of the jolly trainer had made tender inquiries after his esteemed friend and noble patron and had even volunteered to prescribe for him in case he was attacked with these here broccellies as was about by which term he meant bronchitis asserting that nothing was better for Brochelles than a glass of the thick bottoms of a porter cask took early on a empty stomach. The two friends were astounded and not a little disgusted to discover that nothing ailed the captain. It was in vain, he gave as his excuse, that he was tired and knocked up and wanted to be quiet for a while. They would not believe him, but, knowing him very intimately swore there was some woman at the bottom of it before two bottles of bitter ale had been emptied Crosier managed by his over-care to betray his own secret that morning bertha was working by the open window and the extreme care merton took to prevent either of his two friends having a peep at her raised their suspicions on the excuse that the light was too strong he drew down the blinds if tom whilst wandering about the room approached too near the casements the captain would upon some pretext or another call him back again either to show him some unimportant letter which he pulled from his pocket or to ask him what the exact time was by his watch when Charlie once rose to see if it were raining Crosier rushed so precipitately to the window that both his visitors were startled by such unnatural politeness. "'What the deuce is the matter with you?' said Charlie Sutton. "'You've turned thundering civil all of a sudden. Are you going to turn counter-jumper?' "'I'll swear there's a woman somewhere,' said Tom Oxenden. And although Merton tried to prevent him, and requested him not to make a fool of himself— that youth forced his way to the window and drew up the blind no sooner did he see bertha than he burst into a laugh and shouted out you scoundrel crozier why there's that little thing you lost the fifty pounds about i should have thought you'd had enough of her by this time you don't mean to say you were still bothering your head about her if they had looked in his face they would have noticed how angry he was that his secret should be discovered and the best answer that could be made to the question was the anxious manner in which he endeavoured to get them back again to their seats they began to banter him good heavens said sutton and you really are in love with this servant-maid why i call that wasting time and money too added tom Oxenden for he won't get out of it under sixty pounds don't you know continued charlie sudden that it is no more trouble to make love to a duchess than to a serving wench the same oaths and compliments have to be used and confound it there's more glory in killing a peacock than begging a sparrow how can you like maid-servants thundered in tom oxenden whilst the captain tried to look careless as if the conversation did not pain him they are dirty creatures and wear black petticoats my dear boy we must save you from this tomfoolery just imagine now these girls never wash their faces when they get up in the morning they don't know what a toothbrush is and they sift cinders how should you like to kiss a girl's hand after she's been sifting cinders good gracious if you're seriously determined on laying your heart on the kitchen dresser sneered charlie sutton what will you stand if i carry off the missus and secure you the key of the area gate stung to the quick by these rough criticisms on bertha the captain, nevertheless, pretended to be amused. He assumed a nonchalant manner and said, You've settled the matter very nicely between you, but I'll let you have your own way. Suppose I do like the girl. It's only a simplicity of taste, after all. It's about the same thing as if I chose to dine on bread and cheese. You wouldn't object to that. You may dine on acorns if you like, answered Sutton but you won't convince me there is any pleasure in simplicity that talks of ambition, hoisters hatred ouses and that sort of thing why the butcher's boy or the baker's man would cut you out of the field in no time the conversation was becoming rather angry the captain's face had grown red and his mouth was stretched into a smile which was anything but amiable so Tom Oxenden put an end to the discussion by saying, Well, never mind. If Merton likes to hunt for his loves in the dust hole, let him. What the deuce does it matter to us if the adored of his bosom black leads stoves and cleans knives? It's a queer taste, and he'll soon get tired of it. When the two friends rose to depart, they endeavoured to entrap the captain into a night on the town inviting him to supper and promising him unheard-of fun at the rooms of one of their acquaintances a certain bob tail who was to give a kind of evening party to which the guests were to come as soon as the casino closed but with more determination than he had ever before displayed merton refused to join them although he felt that to miss the enjoyment of bob tail's reunion was a cruel privation instead of spending a night on the town the captain passed the evening at the sumptuous mansion of gabael Golcondor, esq the rich diamond merchant he did not enjoy himself much for there was only one young lady there whose personal attractions were of that kind which appealed to his tenderer feelings and as she when he asked her to dance was engaged fifteen deep he did not think it worth while waiting till four in the morning to be the sixteenth the poor captain was what is called fast and imagined judging by himself that whenever a gentleman danced with a lady he made the most violent love to her that his imagination could give words to by the time she has had her fifteen partners he thought to himself she'll have had enough of flattery and unless i call her a cat or something of that kind i don't see a possibility of startling her nerves the next party that crosier went to he danced with three young ladies all of whom he criticised minutely before he hazarded his quadrille waltz or polka the first who was seventeen and wore lank curls which bobbed up and down like whalebone snakes at each step she took discoursed with him on the merits of the different london preachers a subject upon which we are ashamed to say the captain was profoundly ignorant the second young lady who had bushy eyebrows and a fine promise of a moustache annoyed him by making love to him instead of permitting him to attempt any advances towards her she called him a wicked man and a naughty man, almost before he had opened his mouth. The third young lady, he discovered, alas, too late, had a violent cast in her eye, and, from not knowing which one was looking at him, he made some deplorable mistakes, such as saying to her when she was looking in his face, "'I see you are noticing that painting against the wall. Are you fond of pictures?' the result of the captain's evening party experience was that he made up his mind that bertha was the loveliest and most charming girl he had ever met in the whole course of his life as he lolled in his chair after his return home and smoked the cigar he had been longing for all the evening he could not refrain from bursting into a torrent of praise on miss tomsey's companion i've seen some two hundred of them he said all got up like dolls and in first-rate order there's not one fit to drink tea with her out of the same pot her eyes are argand lamps compared to their farthing rushlights, and though i've looked into every mouth i've seen one of her teeth is worth a peck of theirs it's no use i must have bertha she's the prettiest girl i ever saw if it ruins me she shall be mine now we would humbly submit that the captain was not a fit and proper person to form a correct opinion upon the merits of young ladies in fixing upon a fair one he did so as he would fix upon a horse looking only to beauty and spirit and taking only the warranty of the owner as to freedom from vice he was so habituated to the rough licence of the streets, so accustomed to the perfect liberty of the night-house, that he felt himself cramped and geneaid under the restrictions of respectable society. He lost his boldness and dash when he had to converse with a young lady whose mamma was present. To Bertha, he could rattle out protestations and love speeches by the hour. To his partners in the dance, he could only stammer a few commonplace replies. If he did not enjoy himself, he accused them of being the cause, while the truth really was that when he was bold it was only because he felt a contempt for the woman to whom he was talking, and the moment respect was enforced from him, he became stagnant and insipid. His was a vitiated taste. The man who drinks raw brandy has little relish for milk, End of section 35.